Hey, thanks for checking out the Blake Benz podcast. If you're a first-time listener, this is where we sit down with some really incredible entrepreneurs, business owners, and industry experts to talk about business, leadership, management, and really all the fun stuff that comes with being a successful professional. On this week's episode, we sat down with Clark Finical, who is a career expert and two-time author. He's been there as a job seeker. He has some really great advice from not just the recruiting space, not just the HR space, but especially what does it actually take to get your dream job and position yourself to be successful long-term. I think you'll enjoy the episode. Email me, Blake, at goodadvicecoaching.com. Let me know what you thought. Leave a review. Subscribe to the podcast. Enjoy this episode, and I will catch you next week. See ya. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Blake Benz Podcast. I am so excited to have my friend Clark Finical here with us today. Clark is a two-time author. He's a career expert. He's not just an expert on getting the job you want, but he's also an expert on how do you use LinkedIn to take your professional career to the next level. Uh, very excited to have Clark here today. Clark, how are you today? Great, Blake. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and we have a mutual acquaintance in Kristen Sherry. And uh, so her recommendation goes a long way. And so I'm, I'm just honored that you are on the show with us today. Yeah, Kristen Sherry is great. I probably should plug her UMAP book because I know it's <laughs> helped so many people. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to throw that quick plug in because she is oh, yeah. doing a wonderful job with that book. She really is. Now, where are you calling in from? I am calling in from uh, the Tampa Bay area, um, and uh, the outside temperature is 104 degrees, but uh, to give you an idea how much my wife is a true Floridian, uh, I had to adjust the car seats because she had a, the heated car seat on. Oh, my gosh. Um, she's, yeah, she's, um, she's uh, really likes it hot. It's, uh, she won't even go into the pool until it's like 95 or something. So. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. <laughs> I don't think I can. Now, Arkansas is pretty hot. I used to live in Houston. Houston was like sweltering. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I could make it in Tampa Bay. Yeah, it's it's very, very hot. Um, you know, we, we love our air conditioning, but uh, when the air conditioning breaks, it's uh, it's a catastrophe. <laughs> so I, I know a little bit about you. I know that obviously I mentioned already you've written a couple of books uh, the audience doesn't know this, but you had shared a little bit with me over LinkedIn about how uh, I, I'm just, if I can just kind of read some of these things that I was going through our messages and I was looking over some things you had told me, but you had talked about how in your career, you basically, you tripled your salary over the course of 20 years, even though your job was eliminated in, and here's the deal. <laughs> I'm going to read out these years, the number of times your job was eliminated, and this will be especially <laughs> encouraging for the people who maybe they lose their job or they aren't sure what to do next. But you said your job was eliminated in 1995, 2002, 2010, and 2012. You went through a merger, two spinoffs, and a great deal of industry disruption and layoffs. My gosh, man, you, you have been through the ringer. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's funny, Blake. 
um, sometimes you kind of wonder, and I hope you don't mind me bringing in my spiritual side, oh, but, no, um, you know, my um, faith is, is very important to me. And sometimes you wonder, hey, why did God do this or let this happen? <laughs> and um, he kind of uh, really has given me a heart for job seekers. Mm. Um, there's a, a short story or short video that I watched not too long ago. And there was a career expert, a famous career expert talking about what HR professionals should do when they're getting the runaround from hiring managers. And as I watched that short video, I could tell that she had experienced this firsthand. But as I continued to watch it, I couldn't help wondering who's looking out for the job seeker. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I knew the answer to that question because I had been that job seeker. Um, That's, that's why I've written the books I've written and written. And, you know, some people will tell me, like the guy on the other side of the cubicle wall, why are you even doing this? Everybody and their brother has written a book about job seeking. And I told him because every book that's been written to date has been written by people who are HR veterans or recruiters. And they're very, very knowledgeable. I quote many of them in my books. But until you've actually been the job seeker, until you've actually been their shoes and experienced what they experience, you really don't, well, obviously you don't understand their experience, but you learn things that the HR person and the recruiter never learned because they never experienced it. And with that experience, you can help the job seeker understand uh, how to be more successful. Well, it feels like sometimes I, and you, you probably see this as well on LinkedIn, my, I feel very empathetic towards people who they, just like on their LinkedIn profile, they seem very qualified. And yet they're, they're writing posts that are saying things like, you know, I've been job hunting for 200 days or 300 days or, and it's, it's, it's like this interesting disconnect between, you know, I, it seems like I have the skill set and yes, it feels and yet it feels like I'm unhirable in your experience. Like what's, what's the disconnect there? Like what's happening that's keeping someone from getting hired? Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because the answer to that can vary by the individual. Um, I have a lot of people reach out to me and I, I can't help all of them, but wherever possible I do. And back uh, in on May 10th, I had somebody reach out to me and say, Clark, I've been out of work for like nine to 12 months and I'm not getting anywhere. Do you have any suggestions? Well, I looked at his profile and his last title was problem manager. And (laughs) I said, um, there are only 15 problem managers listed in indeed across the entire United States. I think that what's, what's screwing you up here is that title. And I think if you look back at your last three titles, you're going to find, uh, you know, a title that is going to resonate more with uh, recruiters. And so I suggested he do that. And uh, I think he ended up choosing incident and problem manager or something like that. He contacted me on June 12th. Very thankful. He said, Clark, I've already gotten interviews. Uh, I start a new job next week. And um you know, so I was just very, very pleased. Um, there are um, uh, so many little things that 
the average job seeker isn't aware of. But what you know, one thing they're not aware of is that recruiters uh, pay their you know put a, a roof over their head and food on their table uh, by their ability to fill you know their corporate clients' uh, job vacancies, and uh, they use LinkedIn in a specific way. And if someone doesn't uh, doesn't have their profile set up correctly, like the right title, or doesn't use keyword density to uh, get to attract recruiters, uh, they're going to be in a difficult position. Hmm. Well, and, and so obviously you've you've spent a lot of time. So I and, and maybe we could even go back to your story a little bit because obviously. I want to get some of your insights, especially for our audience, on some actual practicals that people can do. Because it feels like the advice you're giving is not just good for a job seeker, but it sounds like it'd be good for someone who's maybe looking for a promotion or maybe who's someone who's they're trying to stay within their industry, but maybe move up to a different company. So it, it feels like you have some really good ideas on how to do that. Before we get into that, though, I, I do want to go back to your story a little bit. Like I said, it sounds like you've been through the ringer. It sounds like you've been through some really chaotic circumstances. What what was I don't know if it's if it was something that was in you or did you have a good mentor or you know what allowed you to really I guess not just survive but thrive, you know, tripling your salary and and you know getting to where you are today. I mean, what let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah, and I wanted to just explain, you know, when I talk about tripling my salary, my wife kind of was like, you shouldn't say that. And I said, <laughs> honey, I'm saying that because, hey, you know, my job was eliminated four times. I don't want people to think I'm a slacker. You know, it's like uh, I got to explain what's really going on. So. Well, and the way I interpret it is that even though your job was eliminated, you didn't you didn't like take a pay cut just to have a job again. Like, obviously, even yeah. though even though you kept losing your position, you were able to find ways to keep moving forward. So I, and, and fortunately, you know, I, most of the listeners I attract, you know, no, no one's really attracted by like big titles or like, <laughs> you know, the ooh or mm -hmm. ah, but I, I think it's important to point out because it, again, it shows that you had momentum going forward. Um, that's why I call that out. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, definitely. And I may have lost track of the last question you asked me oh, if sure. I digress there. <laughs> No, it's probably because I ramble when I respond to people. No, I was just <laughs> talk to me. Talk to me a little bit about like what, how did you develop your own skill set for you professionally? Like, how did you, you know, what makes Clark the person that he is that's allowed you to be successful despite your own setbacks that were happening corporately? Well, you know, it was kind of interesting. Um, I probably worked in an ideal place for someone. Um, with my skill set, I love solving problems. Uh, I love um, doing research, detailed research to kind of see what the issues were. And uh, I worked in a company um, whose name will remain nameless, um, <laughs> where they had significant issues uh, that provided me with significant opportunities, if you look through my experience section in LinkedIn, to find problems uh, that... Um, that oh, case in point, uh, probably the number one achievement story I share in every interview is um, I worked in a department where I saw they were uh, implementing our products at breakneck speed into the sales systems. And, you know, of course, that sounds great. We all want to be as quick as possible. But I, I had some concerns 
And I couldn't stop that department from what they were doing, but I could audit their work and saw, see how well they had implemented these products. Uh, and what I ended up finding was we had a product that the customer had paid us for three years, but because it was never set up correctly, we never recognized the revenue. And that amounted to, uh, you know, by working with finance, we were able to recognize $7.2 million uh, because of, you know, the work that uh, I was able to do to find that. And, um, and that went obviously went straight to the bottom line because all the costs had already been incurred. Um, we had a similar case with some 5,000 customers whose uh, bills were not being trued up to reflect uh, the maintenance that they were being charged. And that amounted to another $2 million. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, a lot of it is just looking <clears throat> at things and seeing how they could be done better. Um, I'll share one more quick story and then let it get back. Let you get back to your asking your questions. But um, in my last role there, I was trained by someone uh, who I came to realize the uh, director didn't think highly of this person. And uh, I came to understand why, because um, I looked at everything she had done in her role and I went back to my director and I said, I can reduce the cycle time by 66%. And those people you just laid off, I can take on a lot of their responsibilities. So, um, you know, I, as, your, as my wife could tell you, I love continuous improvement. I love finding ways to do things better. And um, I had endless opportunities uh, at my former employer. Um, so that's why you would see uh, such an extensive list of, uh, of achievements um, when you look through my uh, work history on my LinkedIn profile. You know, it's, it's interesting listening to you because I, it sounds like you are and I, just even to borrow your own words, you know, you're really passionate about continuous improvement, um, which I am as well. I'm a bit, I'm a bit, I don't know if cynical is the right word. I, I see a lot of organizations that they create these really large initiatives, like we're going to start a, a CI, you know, continuous improvement initiative. And they're very, um, there's a lot of like motivation around them, but then you know, to really improve an organization, it, it takes a lot of work and it takes, in some cases, it takes a lot of pain. And, you know, you, I'm, and I'm sure you're familiar with how people in general don't really like change. So it, it takes a lot of change too. And I see a lot of these initiatives kind of, I think probably every listener can think of some big initiative that happened in their own company. And then it, you know, it died off like <laughs> three or four months later. Oh, sure. You know, what, what's going on there? Like, why does it feel like, especially larger companies, why does it feel like larger companies are so slow to actually implement those kind of initiatives or really to let someone like you, because it sounds like you had the ability to make, like you had the, um, it's not like cloud. It's, it's like you had the authority to, to make, to see improvement and then start acting on it. And not everyone has that. So like what, What's the problem with large scale companies that seem to struggle to continuously improve and, and essentially cut the fat? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. Every corporation is different. Um, I, um, I'm often amused. I can just see in college sometimes some people saying, this is how it is in the business world. Well, <laughs> I know from my, from my own experience, you know, it, 
different employers that I've worked at, but each corporation is different and each, each boss is different. So you're definitely right that the larger a corporation is, the harder it can be to uh, implement uh, improvements. Um, from my perspective, uh, I, had, uh, I was given a lot of leeway by my boss. We, the bottom line is we had already had a tremendous uh, amount of layoffs you know, for a long time. So we had a lot of freedom to work in a um, wide uh, expanse of areas. And my boss basically wanted me to be focused on finding revenue opportunities. Uh, so that was what a lot, a lot of what I did in, in one of my particular roles. I think, you know, when I think about corporations, I'm reminded of a quote by, uh, Collins, the guy who wrote mm-hmm. Good to Great. And, uh, he said that, um, leaders, uh, companies that, that have leaders that have gargantuan egos, um, either drive their companies into bankruptcy or into uh, continued mediocrity. But companies who have leaders that are truly humble uh, can drive tremendous positive changes uh, in in their own companies. And um, I've kind of seen that from my own experience. Uh, I think think sometimes, uh, like my current employer um, is very, very well run. Uh, They're very policy and process focused. But I've also known other companies where um, sometimes the, even the CEO is at the mercy of the people who, re, who report to him uh, because he may not fully understand what's going on throughout the company. Uh, but until the people below him tell him there's a problem, there's nothing he can do about it. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that can exist the larger uh, a company is. Um, I think it all comes down to leadership from the top. Uh, how much um, transparency is there? How much, how much of a process focus uh, is there? Uh, one employer that I worked at in the past, um, and I'm sorry to say, um, this, um, this employer went bankrupt um, and the pension had to be moved to the government to fund it. But this, this company was not process focused. It was very, very political. Um, and even though I worked with a bunch of great people, there was almost like a a chasm between the leadership and the worker bees and such that for the most part, uh, at one level of the company, people were managing their careers. They weren't managing the company. And when you have that type of environment, I mean, it's, um, you, you know, I read a study the other day that says one of the best ways to evaluate a company and this was kind of like a scientific academic way of looking at it is if you had one additional free hour, would you spend that one additional free hour advancing your career or advancing the objectives of the company? Uh, at my former employer, it was definitely the former, uh, but, but that's something that happens at companies. And uh, I, um, I know a large number of people who worked for my former employer who went to another company that was run exceedingly well. Um, and um, so it's um, a lot of it is, you know, you apply for a company to work for a company and you often don't really know what's going on. 
I mean, Glassdoor can provide some insights, but even Glassdoor can be deceptive. I've, I've known companies who will even ask their own employees to go into Glassdoor and write something positive. Mm -hmm. So um, it's... Uh, I have to admit, Blake, did I answer your question or did I? Yes, just no, you're great. And well, I, and, <laughs> and definitely don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll bring you back inside the lanes, but uh, you know, you are, you're the star of this episode. So please feel free to, you know, be as long or as brief as you like. Um, just listening to you though, I, I just can't help but feel like it, it's, it's, culture is so, it's just incredible more and more how much I'm seeing culture be, so important to the outcomes of a company and just listening oh, yeah. to you talk about those two different circumstances of, you know, employees who, you know, they're, they're working to protect their career versus employees who genuinely care about the company. I think you're right that it, it really relates to the leader at the top and usually how big their ego is. Here's, here's an interesting question for you. I, I often tell people to know their worth and to not, hitch their wagon, so to speak, to that toxic company. But mm -hmm. sometimes, I, sometimes I wonder if that's unfair for me to say because I'll also talk to people who they, they really, I mean, it's, it's, they're protecting their mortgage, so to speak. I mean, they really need that paycheck. Okay. You know, they really need. And so I, I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be like ridiculous where I tell someone like to quit their job and they really need that paycheck. But but what advice do you have to the person who maybe is is stuck in that job who maybe it is an ego driven boss or maybe it is a very toxic culture but and so they they want to move on somewhere else but at the same time they're fearful because they they are really reliant on that income they're really reliant on that salary i mean any ideas there well i i think that's uh, obviously a very legitimate concern i i i knew an individual who was uh, in a very high position of power, but a very difficult person to work with. And uh, um, I re uh, remember uh, someone who went to work for him and then very shortly thereafter went to uh, a top competitor of ours. And uh, I understood um, exactly why that happened. And uh, it took years before this person who was causing the problems actually uh lost their job because their uh, their new boss had the courage to say you're not helping this company um so um regarding people in that difficult position um you know of course everyone wants to be able to pay their mortgage and send their kids to college and whatever else like that what i would tell them is there are things you can do to your linkedin profile um for example, uh, the last time I was in the job market, I had a, a large number of recruiters calling me because I had 44 separate instances of the word analyst in my LinkedIn profile. So that when they did a search, I came up to the top um, or very near the top. And uh, so um, there are things you can do from, you know, not just keyword density, but you know, I wrote a whole book about it um, using tools like Photo Feeler to get a photo that actually sends the, the right message and not the wrong one, like many photos do. Setting up the right LinkedIn headline, um, because that too can make a world of difference. 
um, as well as the, the right uh, LinkedIn summary. Um, it, uh, you know, a lot of people don't fully understand how your greatest success comes from speaking in detail and quantified detail about your achievements. And you can do that in your LinkedIn profile in such a way uh, that it really gets the attention of people. And if you also do that with the recommendations that you ask of your former bosses and current bosses, it can pave the way to a new role. Uh, so those were the things that I would say to the individual in that difficult position. Continue to you know, give 110% in your new role, but realize that a, um, a great LinkedIn profile can make a tremendous difference. And one more thing I'll add is staffing companies. Like, for example, uh, SNI is uh, uh, Staffing Now International is one company that's local here. Um, they contacted me the last time I was in the job market. Um, their role is to vet candidates, like many staffing companies, to vet candidates for corporations who don't want to tie up their resources to do that themselves. And... I was contacted actually a month before I got my current job because I think they'd looked up and found my LinkedIn profile. And because I had already applied for positions locally, um, they weren't able to put me out to any other corporations because, because they're paid uh, finder's fees by corporations. There has to be like a 12-month interval between my last application and when they would uh, put me forward to a corporation. Um, but I mentioned staffing companies because before you even apply to a company, uh, you might want to try, check out some of these like SNI, Robert Half. Uh, and just from the perspective of um, seeing if they are, um, if they vet candidates for any particular company, or you could call the HR department for the uh, company that you're interested in working for and say, do you have a, do you use a staffing company to vet your candidates? And once you get the name of them, you can say, oh, can I say that Alice sent me to you or uh, something like that to kind of get a, a referral in a way? Um, that can make a big difference. Um, there are so many recruiters out there trying to fill roles and staffing companies are something that not everyone is aware of. I wasn't really until I um, until back in 2013 when they approached me. Yeah, and I'm definitely not familiar. My just listening to you, it, it's it's exposing me to a uh, behind the scenes world that I am <laughs> not not aware of whatsoever. I also really appreciate your comments on just your ideas on how to use LinkedIn effectively. It, it feels like LinkedIn. And I, personally, I'm I'm all in on LinkedIn. I mean, I really prefer it to the other platforms that are out there. But I still come across people who are a bit hesitant to one get on there and two be active on there. And I know that you yourself, you've you've written quite a few posts on there. You're active yourself on there. It uh, feels like a bulk of your advice even is is helping candidates understand the value in their own LinkedIn profile. Where do you see where do you see LinkedIn going long term? I mean, do you see it continuing to grow and, and sort of be this this premier option for business people? Well, I don't see any alternatives to it, and I know that recruiters use it as uh, you know to 
like I said earlier, to put a roof over their head and put food on the table. And uh, they use these complex Boolean searches to find specific uh, details that uh, are specific skills that their employers are looking for. And when you brought that up, it reminded me of a friend of mine uh, who I uh, was in Sunday school with. He had, um, he had worked for an employer who was working him so hard that he wasn't even seeing his family. So he even just quit, which, you know, obviously I wouldn't recommend it to many people, but in his unique situation, I understand why he did it. And uh, he was a wireless engineer. And, um, you know, we, um, w- what I ended up doing with him was uh, I um, looked at his skill set and I looked at the type of titles that showed up for people with his skill set and found actually about three different titles for wireless engineer. And then I, I looked at the specific, um, specific um, requirements uh, for these type of roles. Uh, that is the keywords that came in. Like, um, for example, uh, on Indeed, uh, I found that wireless alone wasn't enough. I had to add a term called WLAN for wireless LAN. And um, once I did that and started picking up the jobs, I, I went through about 10 of those particular, 10 of those job listings and found the words that were most commonly used, that is the skill sets and so forth, gave that to him. And he told me, uh, I saw him the following Sunday and he said, uh, recruiters contacted him uh, and they had never contacted him at the pat in the past, but they said they found his LinkedIn profile and wanted to talk to him and bring him in. And so, um, you know, uh, once you, you know, realize how LinkedIn works, once you realize how recruiters use it, then you know how to update your profile to um, clearly show your strengths so that recruiters will show that, hey, you're the right person for this type of role. Mm. And you, I know you said you, just listening to your story, I know you've mentioned that people sometimes refer to you as the job seekers advocate. And you've, you've, you've given two stories now of people that were maybe not necessarily desperate for help, but definitely needed help. And they wanted another option. And you feels like you kind of went the extra mile in, yeah, let's, let's figure out how to get you in touch with some recruiters or some staffing agencies or what have you. What, what drives you? I mean, what's your, what's your motive there? Um, that's a great question, Blake. Um, I understand the pain associated being unemployed, and I also feel blessed in that I've had the opportunity to learn uh, a lot about the process uh, and what's really going on. I've done a lot of research, you know, read a lot about what's really going on with recruiters. Um, And I guess the bottom line is, you know, I coined the term job seekers advocate because, like I said in the, I guess, the first story that we talked about, really didn't feel like anybody else was looking out for them. Uh, I knew there were even people out there that were ripping off job seekers because I'd experienced it myself. Um, So I knew how little was actually being told to job seekers that I really wanted to share everything I could with them. Like, you know, one of my posts or one of my first LinkedIn posts was like the 10 lies told to job seekers. You know, it's like everybody involved with the process, uh, HR hiring managers and recruiters, 
they all have their own unique objectives and they do things to advance their goals. And the average job seeker doesn't really understand what's going on. So in my books, I seek to make it crystal clear what's going on. So, so they really understand what they need to do. So when uh, HR or a hiring manager says something, they are able to translate that into what that really means. Mm. What are some of the lies that you mentioned there's top 10 lies, but what's a couple of them? Well, uh, human resources says only apply to jobs uh, if you have 80% of the requirements. And, you know, when you look at that, it sounds logical. Uh, Until you read a job requisition that is 15 lines long in one sentence. Until you meet with the hiring manager and he says uh, he hasn't had time to create a job description. In fact, the uh, description that was uh, was posted was actually just a template. It doesn't describe what's really going on. Or the hiring manager tells you that the company hasn't actually uh, figured out uh, what the roles or responsibilities will be of this person. Uh, so basically don't know what you're going to do or the job requisition is so full of corporate jargon that you don't really even know what, what's involved or the job requisition looks like they're looking for a Nobel prize winner. <laughs> and I, I, I've seen all of those and, uh, I've applied to jobs where I didn't have 80%, uh, and uh, because of the um, exposure I got, I was called back to another interview, and that's actually where I work now, um, six years later. And I know other people who've done the same thing. So I understand where HR is coming from, uh, but the people in HR who are saying this are not familiar with the examples of the situations that I just shared. Hmm. So so that's, that's one case. The, the next one that I would mention if, if it's okay with you yeah. is um, hiring managers say, we'll make a decision. We'll decide by end of month. And the only reason they're saying that is they want you to stop looking. They want you to still be available when they actually get around to making a decision. And I knew someone uh, in another Sunday school who told me about how he had applied uh, to a great company and they were very interested in him, but they kept stringing him along and stringing him along. And he eventually had to say, Hey, it's been six months, either give me an offer or I'm moving on. And so, you know, job seekers are like the least powerful person in, in this equation. Um, or I'm not saying it's always that way. I mean, but it, it, what makes them probably least powerful is maybe not knowing what's going on. The other equivalent to um, uh, we'll decide by end of month is you're a top candidate. Now, basically, the objective is the same. They want you to stop looking so you will be available when they finally do get around to making a decision. But because the employer doesn't know if that, quote, top candidate will still be around, uh, when they finally make a decision, um, they may tell a second person. And because they don't know if even the second person is available, they could tell anywhere from three to five people their top candidates. And so it's just 
<coughs> excuse me, it's just important to kind of understand what's going on. Um, you know, probably the other key thing here uh, I would recommend or talk about, um, you know, HR tells us uh, apply, apply online. And uh, what's not well understood by most job seekers is that when applications went online, uh, HR became flooded with uh, more applications than they knew what to do with. So they developed something called uh, application tracking software, or vendors did, uh, that ostensibly were supposed to uh, just pick out the top candidates and uh, exclude everyone else. And unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. Uh, the systems that were developed uh, are notorious for misreading resumes. Uh, in fact, there's a, a story that um, I read where a, um, a, uh, a resume that was a 90% match for a particular role was submitted and uh, the ATS misread the experience section, uh, misread one of the experiences and uh, um, also um, ended up excluding some of the other sections. So what ended up happening was this candidate that, or this candidate's resume that had a 90% score ended up getting a score of 43 and was rejected. Uh, there are certain things that you can do to increase your likelihood of being uh, selected by the ATS. Uh, there's a website called JobScan, J-O-B-S-C-A-N dot C-O, that does an excellent job, and I'm not getting compensated for this, um, <laughs> of customizing, helping you compare your resume to a job rec and making suggestions as to what you need to do. But um, that's just one part. There's also certain formatting rules that you need to follow, like uh, in your work experience, listing your employer, your title, and then your dates of employment uh, in that order because that's what it's looking for. And also using specific uh, section headings like work experience and so forth. So um, those are probably the, um, you know, the three areas that I would focus on most, um, kind of deal with them. Um, and I know, the, I know the last one isn't so much a lie, but it's maybe understanding mm -hmm. the weakness of the system that's used. Um, so um, well, uh, let me. I have a. Go ahead. Let me let me butt in for a second. I because just sure. listening to you, listening to you. First of all, it's it's incredible to hear. Um, part so part of me is a bit angry, and the other part of me is a bit. <laughs> I I just this is what gets me so. I just, you, you listen to stories like this and you can't help but think about how dysfunctional companies are being run. Cause, and, and maybe I'm oversimplifying, but my motto has always been you hire for a very specific role. And you also, because that person's trying to put food on their table, you owe a level of respect and appreciation to their process in being very candid with them in terms of, are they a good candidate or not? And what that process looks like. And so a good example of this not being walked out correctly would be one company that was telling me that their hiring process is like a nine month process. And they were really proud about it. And they were like, you know, we, we get 
it's a really uh, engaging process. It's a nine month process and we, we, we do it to get the best person possible. And I, I remember just thinking what, what phenomenal employee or potential employee is going to put themselves through nine months of no salary just to find out if they're going to get hired by you. And the other thing that you pointed out as well is, you know, we're hiring, but we don't really know what the job description is. or We have all this corporate jargon. All of that screams dysfunction to me. And for me, the reason it makes me angry is because, again, you have this human being who is full of talent. And then what ends up happening is the company gets frustrated that this person doesn't pan out correctly when it's, it's a setup problem. You know, we didn't, we didn't give right. them a very specific role. It was very ambiguous from the start. We're very slow in actually making a decision. I think you mentioned the speed of making decisions a few times in what you just said. And so right. I, I don't even know if there's really even a question in there. It's just, it's just, it's odd to me how dysfunctional companies will go about the hiring process and almost kind of against common sense, right? I mean, it, it feels a bit, <laughs> it feels a bit opposite of what makes sense in my mind. Exactly. No, I agree 100%. And I think one of the challenges that's involved here is, as I'm sure you can imagine, in any corporation, when you're dealing with VPs and directors and so forth, and their peers might be a director of HR or VP of HR, they're probably not going to tell the, the person in HR that you need to get your acting gear because <laughs> they're not going to tell a peer that uh, because... Um, well, I don't need to explain anymore. Uh, right. That's kind of pretty self-explanatory. But uh, it is difficult. Now, I do want to be clear. HR is in a difficult position with the ease of, with which it is to make applications um, or to, to take them online. Um, there are, I believe, ways around it. Uh, I actually applied to a company once where uh, the application literally seemed like it took a half a day and I'm not, not, not uh, exaggerating. And it was a great company. So, uh, um, it was understandable. Uh, one of the things that is most interesting to me is how, um, even though 6% of the applicants are referrals, 40% of the hires are referrals. So, um, job did some research on that and found that out. So, um, uh, that referrals are one of the best ways to circumvent, uh, um, the ATS and, uh, to put yourself out there, um, to, to basically put yourself in front of the hiring manager. I mean, there are also, uh, opportunities to specifically call the hiring manager to express your interest. And, you know, one of the things that I list as lies where, is where they say, don't call the hiring manager, um, with, um, 75 to 90% of all applications being rejected by the ATS system. Once you receive that automated rejection letter, you have nothing to lose by calling the hiring manager. Uh, obviously, you want to think clearly uh, uh, and uh, craft a well-thought-out, concise, uh, short sentence or two as to why that hiring manager would want to call you back. But I even... Uh, had gotten feedback from an organizational specialist that if you do that, uh, eight times out of 10, the hiring manager or VP of talent will want to call you back. Hmm. So um, th that's another opportunity. Hmm. Um, the, the other thing that I just want to mention related to that, um, 
when I was here six, seven years ago, uh, uh, I had a friend who worked for a local company and he was kind of returning a favor for me when I'd helped him previously. He, uh, advocated for me with the hiring manager and, uh, he, they said, okay, we'll bring you in for an interview. Uh, you just need to go, go, uh, through the, the process of applying online. And so the day of my interview, uh, I actually received the automated rejection letter from the ATS system. Uh, but the hiring manager, uh, who I met with that afternoon knew nothing about it. Uh, in fact, I was in the running for, uh, uh, more than a month for that particular position. And that's a classic example of the left hand of a corporation not knowing what the right hand is doing. Um, and, and so I, I don't mean to pan corporations because no, sure. my current employer is great and I've worked for, I've known many excellently run companies, but the ATS system is a weak weakness uh, yeah. in the current process. Um, so um, I kind of wish someone could find a, uh, a better way of doing this. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, well, along I, with the, what I suggested. Yeah. And I appreciate, you know, your last comment there. Cause I, I have to watch myself too, in the sense of, um, you know, I have some really amazing fortune 500s in my area. And so I always try to be mm-hmm. cognizant that I'm not like bashing <laughs> corporations or, you know, the fortune 500 world or anything, but because there are, there are some really incredible companies that are doing it the right way. I think for me, I try to be so vocal only because it feels like there's many more that are doing it dysfunctionally and to the, to the uh, hurt, harming their employees in the process. I, I know we're running out of time. I, I want to use your time. Well, I have one more question I want to ask you about, uh, especially since we're talking sure. about hiring. I came across... And maybe I was being a bit too harsh on this, but I came across this article a few weeks back on hiring well. And essentially, there was a firm out of Australia that was talking about they always do this trick for all their potential hires. And if people fail the trick, they never get hired, no matter how impressive their resume is. And essentially, it's they called it the dish trick. But basically, it's this idea of you bring a candidate in and you offer them a cup of coffee. And if they offer to clean out the coffee cup, then they're, they have good character and they're a good hire. And if they don't offer at the end of the interview, then you, know, you kick them to the curb because obviously they don't really care much about the team. And, and since I read this, I also learned about other tricks in the interview room. Uh, one person mentioned you dump your laundry on the table and then you leave them in the room. And if they start folding the laundry, it means that they're a go-getter and they're really great. So I was, I was hearing all these examples and I was seeing even people on LinkedIn who were really like clinging to it. Like, Oh my gosh, yes, I love that. But I was like, is this really what hiring has come to? Like, (laughs) can we not like have an honest conversation and find out if someone's qualified instead of resorting to, so I I don't know if I'm being too harsh, but, but since you're obviously an expert in this area, what do you think about these tricks, so to speak? Yeah, I don't think a lot of those tricks. I, I've even read stories where um, uh, in some companies, and I think these are smaller companies, uh, the CEO would send the secretary out to uh, to look at the car of the person who applied because uh, the CEO's criteria was if the car was messy, then they wouldn't be an ideal employee, which obviously these deal with individual idiosyncrasies and values. I mean, I probably wouldn't get hired by that guy, basically, because of how <laughs> my car frequently is. But sure. one of the best stories I ever heard came from Jeff Hayden, 
um, you know, the ink, ink columnist. And what he told me happened when he had worked for another company was that uh, his boss had interviewed somebody and then uh, his boss had something come up. So he said to, to Jeff, can you um, just kind of tour him around the company? And Jeff happened to be in his jeans that day. He maybe kind of looked like he maybe wasn't that higher up um, in, in the uh, chain of command. So Jeff toured this person around and perhaps because of how the applicant uh, perceived Jeff, he was uh, very open about his own beliefs and feelings. And he ended up kind of saying some things that ultimately disqualified him um, in terms of being negative or other things that prevented him from getting the job. But um, Jeff kind of recommended this. And I've, I think I've even recommended it myself to uh, to HR departments that, um, you know, basically had the situation where the hiring manager has to leave and then say, oh, oh, Joe, can you kind of take him around and have Joe look like he's basically a peon, you know, mm. um, so that uh, the applicant's more likely to let his guard down and kind of spill his guts. And, uh, you know, so I, I personally, that's the best one I've heard so far. Mm-hmm. Well, that one feels a little more intentional than some of these other things that these other things feel a bit too, um, I don't know, it feels like perception is reality, right? Like you'd have someone, like if I dumped laundry on the table, you may be thinking, well, I mean, would it be inappropriate for me to <laughs> start folding? His, I mean, there's, there's too much that can happen there that can get oh, yeah. misperceived, right? Exactly. It's too subjective. Oh, yeah. and, and I like your example because... Uh, and I actually worked for a company where I was the person who would walk them around. And it was amazing. It was amazing how people would be so honest and also say things that you'd be like, man, why would you tell me that? (laughs) Why would you say, why would you say that to me? Like I had one guy who he was like, yeah, I just want to be here for a couple of months and just get some cash, you know, and then I'm going to move on somewhere else. And I was like, why would you say that? You don't even know me. Why would you say that to me? But anyway, Hey, we are out of time. What is the best way? How do you want people to follow you? How do you want to reach out to you? What's the best way to do that? Well, you know, I've still got about 5,000 uh, open spaces on my LinkedIn profile, um, LinkedIn connections, that is. I've got to 25,000. So I'd encourage people to connect with me. Uh, I would also encourage people to uh, follow my website, The Wiser American, uh, where they can uh, see my latest posts. I think uh, the best thing they can do or the least expensive career advice they can ever get would be to pick up uh, job hunting secrets from someone who's been there and LinkedIn strategies to take your career to the next level. Um, those would be my recommendations, Blake. And can, can the, are those on Amazon? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Great. Okay. So for the listeners, job hunting secrets from someone who's been there and LinkedIn strategies to take your career to the next level. Clark, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You are just a total, it's just incredible hearing about your knowledge and expertise. And it was really interesting for the listeners. Thanks so much for listening. Absolutely. Let me know what you thought about the episode. You can email me Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com or leave a review or subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening. And I will catch you next week.